The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We are in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, which is the end of the first chapter that we started last week. And in this passage, he says something really astounding about God and his life. It's, it's really the same thing that's said over in John chapter 1 about the life of Jesus Christ, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, light is used in Scripture to speak about the life of God being exercised. And, uh, and so we see signs of it. We see the effect of it in our lives, in the, our life in relationship with him. And so this is what we're looking at. And uh, the question we have is, how can sinners have fellowship with a holy God? Well, he's going to talk about this, and notice beginning in verse 5 then again as we look at this, uh, this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, his life is continually being manifested. God always manifests who he is. He never hides who he is in the sense of, of, of hiding from his children. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, in order to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light. That's really the answer to that question. How can sinners have fellowship? When I say sinners, I mean us. We're sinners in this sense. We still have sin dwelling in us, according to the New Testament, and we can sin. You probably have noticed that, that we can still sin. And, uh, he, and he says here that the reason we can have fellowship with God is that if we walk in the light, which means we are walking in accord with his revelation of what he has revealed about himself, his character and so forth. When we do that, we can have fellowship with God and we can experience the best part of life, having fellowship with the living God. One of this, the second blessings is, if you remember when, when someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? What he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that was the Old Testament version of that, of that command. This is the primary command. This is the greatest of the commandments, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. But Jesus, in this book, he talks about the fact that he wasn't writing a new commandment, but an old commandment, and that was the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But that commandment got reissued when Jesus went to the cross and after the cross and his resurrection. And this is what he says now in John's, John 13, 34 and 35. He says in that chapter, I have a new commandment for you to his disciples, and he says, this new commandment is this, that you love one another the way I have loved you. Do you see the difference between loving your neighbor and loving a fellow believers the way Jesus loved us? Jesus loved us by laying down his life for us. He died for us. He put his life in the hands of his enemies so that he could die in our place. So this is the new commandment. The new commandment is, is that we love one another the way Christ loved us. And Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This is how you can tell that believers, that people that claim to be believers are the disciples of Jesus because they love fellow believers. And this is, this is the new commandment. And this is the commandment that John is talking about when he said, 
I gave you an old commandment, but I'm going to give you a new commandment as well. And that commandment is that we love each other the way Christ loved us. And so fellowship with believers is one of the greatest blessings in all the Christian life. When we come to have real fellowship with believers, because that fellowship is a manifestation of our fellowship with God. Because we're in fellowship with God, we get to experience fellowship with one another. That means that we have something in common. We have a life in common. We each have been given eternal life. In fact, I, I'd like you to look again. I've already showed you this before, but I want to show you again. In chapter 5 of 1 John, since you're right there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. Notice what it says. If we receive the testimony of men. Now, you know what a testimony is. Somebody swears that something is true. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has given to us eternal life. And he says, well, he actually says that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Well, what was the testimony that God gave concerning his son? The testimony is this, he says in verse 11, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. In other words, the way that you receive eternal life is by receiving Jesus Christ. God gave his son eternal life in order that he might give it to all those who believe on him. So we actually have eternal life as a possession. And we've seen before in John 17 where Jesus says, this is the purpose of eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So this is how we come to experience a real relationship with God. It's through this eternal life that's been given to us. And every one of us who have received Christ have received eternal life because that's why the Father gave him eternal life, was to give to us. And that's what he's talking about. So we have eternal life. But the purpose of eternal life is that we might know God and know Jesus Christ. And so that's what this book is really about. It's about fellowship with God. And because we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with his children, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have, we have a relationship. We walk in the light. And so when he says, this is a message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let me read to you from John because the, the gospel of John has, an, has a beginning that's just like 1 John almost. This is what it says. In him was life. It's talking about Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word comprehend means it couldn't snuff it out. It couldn't consume it so that it no longer was in existence. The light that we have been given in Jesus Christ is his life in manifestation. There came a man from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, about this life of Jesus Christ that has been manifested to us, and we actually see the effects of it in our own lives. He says, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. But he says, this is the judgment. This is the negative side of it. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. They didn't want their deeds to be seen. And the light that shines forth from Jesus Christ always manifested itself 
And this is what he's saying about the Father. The Father is light. He's talking about his life. He has eternal life in himself. And so his life is manifested. Have you ever been around people who are always the same? They are who they are, no matter who they're with. They don't pretend to be somebody else. That's what he's talking about, that God always manifests who he really is. He is the God of the universe, and he has sent his son into the world that we might have his very life. And in having his life, we're able to interact with him. We're able to know him and to hear him and to understand him. And so that's what he's talking about. And so the answer to that question, how can sinners have, a, have fellowship with God, is by walking in the light. We must walk in the light. God wants to share his life with us. We're told that all over the place, that God wants to share his life with us. First John is all about him and we can be part how we can be partakers of God's life. He wants us to be partakers of his life. Now, in verse 2 of, of First John, of the very first chapter, he talks about him as the word of life. Now, what that means is the word of life is a way of, of, of describing the gospel, the word of life. He's talking about the message about life. How do you receive life? It's through Jesus Christ. The gospel is Christ was sent into the world in order to give God's life to us. Now, that's amazing. I started to explain this the other day. I, I tried to send a video to somebody, but it was too large to be sent in an email, and it had to be sent some other way. Well, this is kind of, where, how else could God get his life to us except through his own son? He gave his life, he gave his son eternal life so that he could give it to us. And everyone who receives Christ receives his life. Now, you remember when Jesus gave a testimony concerning the Son. It was very public. It was at Jesus' baptism. Remember that? When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, it was a baptism of cleansing. It was introducing him as the Messiah. And what happened was that, that God speaks from heaven. He speaks publicly. So everybody that was there could hear it. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because he is the one through whom the father was able to give us life. We have life, eternal life. It's a possession that we have. And eternal life isn't simply living forever. It certainly is that, but everybody's going to live forever in one way or another. But we, we have eternal life, which is this ability to know God and have a relationship with God. I can talk to him as my father. The New Testament tells us over and over again that we've been given the spirit so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a term of endearment. It's calling God something that says we are close to him and he is close to us. He is our Abba, Father. Abba is what Jesus cried in the garden before he was crucified, if you remember. He cried out, Abba, Father because of his connection with the Father, and that is our connection now. He is our Father, and, and it's his life that we have come to experience. Now, the truth about his nature is given to us here in verses uh, 5 through 7. If you'll look there again, when he says, this is the message we have heard from him, and we, and we announce to you. John is saying, I got this message from the Father, and he wanted me to give it to you. And this is the message. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That is that God always manifests himself as who he is. 
He reveals himself as who he really is. He never puts on a mask. He never pretends to be somebody other than who he really is. And so this, this passage, he says in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. Now, what would be walking in darkness? Well, walking in darkness would be not, not walking according to the revelation that God has given us in himself. His life is light, and so we come to know the truth. And when we walk according to truth, we are walking in the light, and that's when we have fellowship with God. And having fellowship with God is the most important part of your Christian life. Having fellowship with God means that you're sharing with God the most important and intimate of life, intimacy of life, that we have come to receive his life. And we, when we fellowship with him, we are experiencing his very life. The only problem is some people, he says, that, and when it came to the son, they didn't want to be around him because when you got around Jesus after his, his incarnation, what, because he was light, your life would be manifest and you would be very much aware. If you remember, this happens over and over again. For example, when Isaiah came into the presence of God, remember that, Isaiah 6? In Isaiah 6, he finds himself in the presence of God. God shows up. And, and this is what Isaiah says. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. What did he mean by that? He meant that the light that he was exposed to revealed the fact that he wasn't everything he was supposed to be, that he had unclean lips, and he lived among a people of unclean lips. That just means that they said things they should not have said that was not true. And what God wants us to do is to walk in the light in order to have fellowship with him. Now, he has given us everything we need to walk in the light. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He's given us his word to tell us the truth. Remember the, the, the lawyer who said to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the word say? What does the law say? And the, the lawyer said, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you spoke well, go and do that and you'll, have the, you'll inherit the life. And then the lawyer said, because he wanted to justify himself, but who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What was meant by that expression was, love your Jewish neighbor who is just like you, but hate your Gentile acquaintance. Don't hate the, hate the Gentiles, but love the Jews. Now, we see that in all kinds of ways manifested in life. But what, he was, what this man was saying was, yeah, but how do I know who my neighbor is? I'm certainly not supposed to love everybody, right? I'm not supposed to care for people who are hurting and down and out if they're not my kind of people. Well, what Jesus said to him, uh, was that he totally misunderstood that what God has said to us is, I want you to love the people that I put in your path. And he tells him a story. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that? A man was walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, and he was beaten up and left for dead. He was beaten up, stripped of all of his clothes, and left in the road to die. And it says... Some men came by. One, for the first one was a priest, a man of God. 
And the priest got on the other side of the road and walked right by him and didn't want to touch him and didn't want to be defiled by him. And the second man was a Levite, which is a helper of the priests. And he did the same thing. He walked on the other side of the road. He didn't want to get close to this man because he might get some blood on him. And then he said a third man came along and he was a Samaritan. You know what a Samaritan is? A Samaritan was a half-breed. It was a person who was an offspring of a Jewish person who had, who had, had, a, rela- who had a husband or a wife that was a Syrian. They had come into the country and they, they wanted them to integrate and, and uh, have families that are, were mixed Jewish and Assyrian. And so the Jews hated them. They despised them. You remember when Jesus was at the well in John 4? Remember that account? When Jesus at the well and he asked the woman, that it was a Samaritan woman, a descendant of one of these mixed marriages, which the Jews despised. And uh, Jesus says to her, because she says, what are you doing asking me, a Samaritan woman? You're a Jewish man. You shouldn't even be talking to me. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you, I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. What was he talking about? He said, I could, if you asked me, I would give you life and you would never, ever thirst again. And she was a Samaritan. Well, she was surprised that he would even talk to her. But all he did was ask her for a drink. He was famished and he was thirsty. And he simply asked her, he didn't, he didn't have anything to get a drink with. And so he asked her and she says, you're a Jewish man. You're asking me for a drink. And that's when Jesus said to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you, I would give you living water. You see, he's, in other words, he's saying, I'd give you real life if you simply ask me. Well, she comes to faith in Christ because, you know why she came to faith in Christ, remember? Is because he told her things about herself that she didn't think anybody knew. He told her to go get her husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he, he said, you speak well because you've had five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. Well, that really got to her. She couldn't believe that he knew that. So she goes into town and tells all of her friends, could this be the Messiah? He's been telling me things about my life that nobody would even know. And she ends up coming to faith in Christ. And so did the the majority of that city. And these were all Samaritans. These were people that Jews were not to have anything to do with. They should never mix with them. They should never be around them. And yet Jesus offers them eternal life by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the privilege that we have as believers. We have been given this assignment to love our brothers in Christ and to love people, to love our neighbor and to love our brother in Christ and sister in Christ. I say brother because brothers are the ones who are usually in trouble, but it means brothers or sisters. But isn't it it wonderful that God's given us this assignment? I'm going to give you an assignment. The assignment is you've got to love your brethren. You have to love them and you have to care for them. When they have a need, you have to to provide for that need. You're to pour your life into them. That's a wonderful privilege that we have, that we're supposed to love each other. And Jesus has already said, the most amazing thing is you can have fellowship with me as long as you walk in the light. That's the, really the words of the Father, but that's what, that's what they're being told. If you walk in the light as God is in the light, 
you will have fellowship one with another. And he's talking about fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ because we have fellowship with God. Do you know why some people don't ever have fellowship with another Christian? Because they don't have fellowship with God. When you have fellowship with God, which just means that you're sharing things in common with him, you're sharing your whole life with him. When a person is having a fellowship with the father, he's having fellowship with his children. How would you like it if somebody said, you know, I'd like to be your friend, but I want to tell you something. I don't like your kids. So keep them out of the house when I come around. And you'd probably say, well, then you stay out of the house. And the father says to you, I want you to experience my love for you and my fellowship with you so that you can experience fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what he's told us to do. And so God is light and his life is always being manifested. And he says that that is so that we can experience fellowship with him by walking in the light. Walk in the light. In fact, he, if you notice what he does here, he says that uh, he says if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. Isn't that amazing? In other words, he says, oh, God wants to have fellowship with you. And what he has done is he has given you the spirit of God so that, and, and Jesus Christ living within you so that you can be clean, so that you can be fit for his presence. You ever had that happen in your house? Somebody shows up at the door and you're thinking, oh, no. Well, we look terrible. Don't let them in the house. You know, and here God says, you can have fellowship with me because Jesus Christ lives in you. And if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus is cleansing you from all sin. You know, some people wonder, well, why, why is that? I know the, when I said something about the fact that in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. That's, that's a little bit later than that, after 9. But he says... Uh, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And that, the way that that is put together, it means that when you're sinning, you have an advocate with the Father. And somebody said, wow, that doesn't sound right. Is God just letting you sin and he doesn't care? Oh, no, that's not the idea at all. Have you ever heard of people who have a lawyer on retainer? You know, that they, they need a lawyer all the time, and so they just keep them on retainer, and anytime they call, they can come and will defend them. Well, we have a lawyer... That's what parakletos means. Same word is used of the Holy Spirit. He is the one called alongside of us to defend us. And he's always there. He's always there, even when we fail. And we do fail, don't we? I think it would be a horrible, it would be a horrible thing to keep a record of every one of your sins. I remember I was at a church some years ago, and this pastor said, Every time you pray, you should, convince, you should confess all the sins you can remember because you probably have forgotten some of them and you forgot to confess them. Well, I want to tell you, it's not mechanical. And, and what he is saying is, when you confess your sins, you have an advocate with the Father. That is, you have one who is representing you with the Father. And he provides the basis of your forgiveness. What's the basis of your forgiveness? It's the blood of Jesus, isn't it? He died in your place. He gave his life up so that you could live and be forgiven. And so he says, if you walk in the light as, as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him and with his children. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. 
And then he goes on and he says, if we say that we have not, no sin, if we say that we don't have any sin, I, I got to tell you this, I was, we were visiting a church one time and we were in a Sunday school class. And uh, this lady that had come in, a visitor, and she raised her hand. And she goes, you know, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. What do you have to do to become a Christian? Well, everybody just froze up. I don't know why exactly, but they, they didn't have anything to tell her. They just, it was just silence. And finally, the guy looked at me like he thought I, was, I should say something to her. So I said, well, what you have to do is you have to come before the Father. You have to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he'll forgive you for all your sins. And she said, I don't have any sins. I don't have any sins. Now, either she's married to a guy that never tells her the truth, or she's being deceived by Satan. I want you to know we have sins. We falter and fail over and over again. All you got to do is read Romans 7, and it'll tell you what it's like to try to live the Christian life, knowing that you can fail so easily. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he's the propitiation for our sins. All that word means is he's the satisfaction. He totally satisfies the Father in his righteousness concerning us so that we stand perfect before the Father. He has forgiven us, and we stand perfect before him. And so he says, if you walk in the light, and all he means by that, if you walk according to what God has revealed we ought to do as his followers, you can have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. So it doesn't mean if you could get perfect, God would accept you. You notice that? Nobody receives anything from God from their merit. That is, from the, their good things about them. You don't receive anything from God based upon how good you are. You receive everything that you ever receive from God based upon faith, trust in him. If you trust him, he will bless your life in abundant ways. And this is one of them. He'll give you fellowship with him. I'll tell you, this is one of the most exciting things about the Christian life there is. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him. Fellowship with God? I can have fellowship with God? That's what it says. We can have fellowship with God. And his son is continually cleansing us from all sin as we walk in that fellowship. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? See, the Christian life is filled with blessings. God has blessed you in so many ways. And some of them we so take for granted that we don't realize what a privilege this is. God would speak to me. God would have fellowship with me. Isn't that amazing? That's what he says. And he says that what Jesus does is he works on your behalf so that you are perfectly fitted to have a relationship with God. It's a wonderful thing. I can feel at home in his presence. Doesn't that sound strange? That you can be at home in his presence? That you know that you're in the right place because you're in the presence of the living God, the God who is light? Because you're walking in the light. And this is the greatest motivation I know for living our Christian lives in such a way that I don't want to earn anything from God. I simply want to experience God. I'm not trying to get something from him by trying to be perfect. I simply want to experience his presence. I want to experience him. I want to know what it's like to have a relationship with him. I want him to speak to me and to my heart. And that's what he's promised to do. He's promised to speak to your heart. He actually cares about you. And he wants you to have fellowship with him so that you can have fellowship with your brothers and sisters 
in Christ. One of the greatest privileges in all of life. It's what makes the Christian life so wonderful. It's walking in fellowship with a living God and with his people. Isn't that something? That is a treasure. That's what Christ has paid for. You know, when we talk, start talking about what Jesus did, how he accomplished the atonement, how he laid down his life for us and gave his life for us, sometimes we're thinking, man, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? Only if you want forgiveness. If you want forgiveness, then it's not extreme at all. It's exactly what you need and what I need. See, I know my sin. I, I wouldn't tell you because I, you don't need to know it, but God knows it and I know it. And you know about your sin. You know about those things that so easily for you, you give in to the temptation to not be faithful to the Father in your relationship with his people, but instead do something else, pull away from them. And he says, I have provided everything you need to walk in fellowship with me, to walk in fellowship with a holy God. You won't feel out of place. You won't feel like you're in the wrong place saying the wrong thing because you're not fit to be in his presence. He's made you fit to be in his presence and he's given you a savior and he's given you the Holy Spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit so that your eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ and you believed. And now that Christ lives in you and so when you're walking in fellowship with God, you're thinking, man, I don't want to mess up. I sure hope I don't blow it because I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is continually cleansing me from all sin. That's an amazing truth. I hope you believe that, because it's a glorious truth to know that you're free from all of your shortcomings and all the things in your life that you're afraid would keep you from being acceptable to God. He has said to you, oh, I want you to share my life. That's why I sent my son so that you could actually experience life in fellowship with me, so you could be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's called us for. I wanted to read a couple of things from the scriptures about this very thing. First of all, in the first few verses of the Gospel of John, this is 1 John. It's the same man who wrote 1 John as wrote John, the, the uh, Gospel of John. This is one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus and this is how that book starts. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. It doesn't take it over. It doesn't remove it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist knew he wasn't the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. So they stay away from Jesus. And he says, oh, no, I want you to come to me. I've provided for you. I want to clothe you in my righteousness. I want to make you fit to stand in the presence of a holy God. And so he says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. For everyone who, hate, everyone who does evil hates the light. I don't want to be seen. You remember in John 16, it tells us when the spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he explains, he said of sin because they don't believe on me because that's the greatest sin. The greatest sin 
is the sin of refusing to believe on Jesus Christ. And he says, of sin because they do not believe on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father. I go to the Father. In other words, before Jesus went to the Father, all you had to do was get around Jesus and you saw what righteousness was. Every time his disciples were with him, they saw righteousness being manifested by the Son. And, he, and so Jesus says, the Spirit's coming and he's going to convict men of righteousness because I go to the Father. And so he's going to take over this job of convincing them of what righteousness truly is. It wouldn't be something to live during the days of Jesus. And when you got exposed to him, you said, so that's what righteousness is. That's what it is. Because sometimes um, we get a little confused about what it is that God has done in our lives. He has actually anointed us and, and caused us to come into relationship with Jesus Christ so that the righteousness of Christ is ours and our sin is his. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. He, the Father made him, that is the Son, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that wonderful? That all of my sin, all the petty stuff, you know, most of us have a lot of little sins too, and we think, ah, that, God doesn't care about that. Well, he took all of our sin, the, the, the big stuff and the little stuff, and he put it on Jesus Christ, and he put the righteousness of God in Christ on us. So this is called the, the, the great exchange, our sin exchange for his righteousness. And so we stand perfect before the living God. God is perfectly willing to draw you in and, and ex, for you to experience a relationship with him. He has equipped you to, ha to have a relationship with him. He gave you eternal life so that you could know him and you could understand him and you could walk with him. This is why prayer in the life of the believer is so important because it's you speaking to the living God in the name of Jesus. It's you telling him the truth about what's going on in your heart and, and knowing that he hears you because you're praying in Jesus' name. He actually hears you and he wants you to come to have faith in him so that you, when you speak to him, you know you're really speaking to the living God who sent his son into the world to bring you into a relationship with him. You are a blessed people, a gloriously blessed people, and God wants you to know it. He wants you to be aware of it. I was, Nancy asked me, she said, uh, what would you do if I shouted hallelujah? And I said, I'd come over there and join you. Because the Bible says, 29 times in the Old Testament, it says you should shout for joy. Have you ever done that? You ever had those moments where it's like you, you just couldn't contain the blessing that you have received in, God, in Christ Jesus? And so you shout for joy. Thank you, Father, for being so good to me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me life indeed that I might know you. And so now he wants us to give ourselves to him. He wants us to make ourselves available to him. He wants to use you to touch this world with the gospel. And he will empower you to do that. You don't have to think like, well, I'm just not made for that. I'm not wired for that. Oh, yeah, you are. You have the living God living in you. You have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You are equipped to spread the gospel. 
and to tell people the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what it would mean for them to come into a relationship with the living God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do in your life. It's, it's really interesting in the New Testament. It's always talking about how we should be giving ourselves away, not hoarding anything, but giving ourselves away. We're looking for people who have needs so that we can pour our lives into other people. That's what he tells us to do. Now, I know, I, I, and I'm, I'm wired that way, that I'm very careful about protecting my stuff. As I was going over my taxes and, this, and all that stuff, and I was thinking, man, I got to be more careful. I, I got to, you know, keep, keep this stuff all tied up. But what he wants you to do is be willing to pour your life out. He wants you to give yourself because he's given you so much. And he wants you to find those who need what God has given you and to share it with them. That's what he's asking us to do. I remember when we first started this church back in 1997, was it? I think it was 1997 in December. And somebody told me when we started the church, he said, you should plant another church within the first year. You should get in the habit of doing that because that's what we're supposed to be doing is giving ourselves away. In other words, the best people, the people that are most faithful, the people that are, that are so valuable to you as a local church, to send them out to take the message of the truth of Jesus Christ to others who haven't yet heard it is exactly what we ought to be doing. Well, now we're 22 years away from that, and we haven't done that. And I got to thinking, I wonder why I forgot about that. Because that's, that's what he ought to be doing. That's what we ought to be doing, is we ought to give ourselves away. The other day, uh, Denise noticed that um, so we were looking at the website, the new website, and looking at some of the ministries, and a couple of those, we don't have them anymore. And so, uh, like, Mike Moore had uh, Awana at home. And so Denise says, you know, we should advertise somebody for that, advertise for that position, get somebody to take it. And I said, no, you can't do that. You have to, God, ha the Spirit of God has to put it in the heart of a person to say, I want to fulfill that need. I want God to use me to fill that need. Well, every one of you, every single one of you, are recipients of the grace of God, and God wants you to give it away. He wants, to give, he wants you to give yourself away, and he's going to open up doors for that. He's going to give you opportunity to do that. He has been giving you opportunity. It's just most of the time we don't notice it, do we? Most of the time I'm so worried about protecting myself and keeping myself from getting too strung out that I don't even notice that God's putting people right in front of me and, and this is what we've been called to do as leaders in the church. We've been called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, it's not the pastors and the evangelists and the apostles and prophets, if we, have, if we had those, it's not for them to do the work of ministry. It's for you to do the work of ministry. And our job is to equip you so that you can do that because God wants to use you. He wants to use you in a way that's going to thrill your soul. It's, it's, it's immeasurable. It's glorious. He wants to use you in a way that's going to change somebody's eternity. And you are so equipped. You have been so well blessed because God has given you his son and he's given you the spirit. He's given you a spiritual gift and he wants you to use it. 
as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. And so we're going to start hammering away at this, this, this coming season in the life of our church. We need to see God use us. We need to see the fact that we're, we're not here just to sit and listen to that guy talk every week. We're supposed to be here in order to be equipped to, do, to serve, to do the work of ministry. It belongs to you, the work of ministry, all of you who are believers. And God wants you to do the work of ministry because he wants you to be blessed by it. I've never received a greater blessing than simply pouring grace out into people's lives in different situations. When you get into to a situation you're surprised by, I remember sharing the gospel with a guy because his wife came to my office and brought him, drug him in there because she wanted to divorce him. He'd been in the service and now he was back and she drags him in there wanting him. Uh, he's wanting to divorce her and he wants to convince me that it's okay. And what happened was he came to faith in Christ. It ruined her plans, but he came to faith in Christ. He came to trust in the Lord Jesus and he became a pastor. I forget where, where it was he went to do that, but I assume he's, I'm hoping that he's equipping saints for the work of ministry now, because that's what he's called us to do. And so you are blessed far beyond what you can imagine. Most of you don't have any idea how, how blessed you have become. You couldn't, you can't write this stuff down and say, okay, you know, like when you get ready for your taxes, you're writing all this stuff down and you're figuring out what you have and what you don't have. Well, now, what you have spiritually is so far beyond anything you could imagine. And God has blessed you richly and he wants to use you. And I'm going to shut up right now and pray. But I want, you to, I want you to take this seriously. God wants to use you. Maybe he wants to send you somewhere else in the world with the gospel. But he wants to use you. I have no doubt about it. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the truth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are so grateful that you have saved us and made us whole and given us such a glorious gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given us the spirit. You've given us a ministry. You have given each one of us, Father, what you want us to have in order to do the work of ministry. And I pray that we would take this seriously. And Father, that we would look for ways that we could give ourselves away how grateful we are for your loving kindness towards us and for you caring enough about us that you would teach us that we need to give ourselves to others. Thank you so much, Father, for your grace and for your goodness towards us. We are, we are certainly grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.